dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today on the podcast, I am sharing a master class I virtually attended on Rioja. The class was hosted by Christian Ogenfuss, CEO of the Napa Valley Wine Academy, and was presented by Master of Wine Chris Spiegel and Dane Chesson, the U.S. Trade Program Director for Rioja. We are all familiar with Tempranillo from the Rioja region, but in this seminar, we also learned about Graciano, Garnacha, and the white grape variety, Vura. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. No, no, no. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today for this very special webinar brought to you by the Consejo of Rioja, entitled Rioja Tempranillo and Beyond. My name is Christian Ogenfus, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here uh, today to the webinar. This is the third webinar in a series of webinars uh, on Rioja that we've done so far this year. And in March, if you might remember, we did an informative session on what you need to know about Rioja. In June, we tackled the classic uh, Rioja uh, wine styles. And today's session is all about varieties that make up classic and contemporary Rioja, hence the title Rioja Tempranillo and beyond. So now it is my great pleasure to introduce uh, Dane uh, Chasen, Rioja US Trade Ambassador uh, and Program Director, I should say. Um, and she would like to say a couple of words before we introduce our host uh, for today. Dane, welcome. Hey, thanks, Christian. Um, hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a, a minute and welcome everybody on behalf of the DOC Rioja and their U.S. campaign. We, we really appreciate you all taking the time today to learn a little bit more about Rioja and our world-class wines. So after this wonderful tasting, if you're interested in learning a bit more information on Rioja, I highly encourage y'all to check out the Rioja Wine Academy. Um, there you'll get even more information and some in-depth coursework. Um, so once again, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Christian and the team at the Napa Valley Wine Academy. You guys are awesome. Um, and also thank you to Chris Spiegel, Master of Wine, who is taking us on this journey today uh, through, through Rioja, Tempranillo, and beyond. So everybody enjoy. Thanks so much, Dane. So it is uh, my great pleasure to introduce today uh, Master of Wine, Chris Spiegel, close friend of mine, former study partner. Um, she has traveled the world learning about wine, has worked harvests uh, and made wine all over the, the world. So if being a master of wine isn't accomplishment enough. She is also a very accomplished winemaker. So it's my great pleasure today um, to introduce uh, Chris. Chris, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, Dane and the Valley Wine Academy. And thanks to BOC Rioja. And thanks to all of you for being here today. You can see me, but I can't see you. 
Um, one thing I'd like to tell you about me is there are two things I really love. One is the tradition and uh, traditional and time honored, and the other is the emergent. So it's very fortunate that I can speak with you about Rioja today because it's a region that encapsulates both of those things. And the emergent side is something that um, not everyone has the opportunity to learn a lot about, but you have that opportunity today. So we'll be talking about um, some exciting developments. And uh, for those of you who have the wine kits, we'll be tasting some great wines. Uh, the objective today is to understand the increasing diversity of grapes and styles in Rioja. We will be approaching this through a grape variety lens, but we'll talk a little bit um, about, about a few other things going on, uh, particularly uh, new directions in, in uh, site selection and region. Uh, I want to point out as we get started that when a lot of people talk about changes or developments in classic regions, they use the word modernization. And that is a unidirectional word. It suggests that something old is becoming new or is, is changing. And that's not the case here because the wonderful uh, time-honored methods of, of making Rioja the vinification and the aging that you know and love are still in place. They're not going anywhere. But what's happening is an expansion of the region and its styles, a diversification. And overall, that elevates the entire profile of the region because it gives so much more to the consumer. So it keeps the classics and that top quality and those very special aged wines that you know, and then it adds these new elements. So again, I wanna think of this not as a modernization, but as a diversification and expanded definition of the region. We're gonna do a quick review and then we are going to uh, give an overview of uh, what these new directions developments are. And then I'll be talking about specific grape varieties. And then as we go through those varieties, we'll be tasting wines. And in some cases, uh, hearing from the winemakers via video. I uh, welcome you to taste uh, carefully, thoughtfully, and uh, put notes into the Q&A. I won't be able to see them, but I believe Christian and Dane will. And we should have some time for your questions at the end. So, to start with the review, Rioja has three principal subregions, Alta, Alavesa, and Oriental, formerly known as Baja. And there are some unique features with regard to uh, mountain ranges that offer some protection to Rioja from climate extremes. And there are also seven key valleys running through Rioja that contribute to a great diversity in soils and mesoclimates and that give us so many, um, so many of the wonderful sites that producers are exploring now. As you know, uh, Rioja has traditionally been dominated by red wine uh, and specifically by Tempranillo. Uh, red grapes uh, comprise over 90% of the plantings in Rioja with Tempranillo at the top. Uh, white grapes are 9% plantings uh, dominated by Viura still, however, um, Viura is losing share to some other grapes that are coming into play. A number of new varieties were permitted in Rioja since 2007, including international grapes, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, but also Maturana Blanco and Tinta, uh, Tarantas, 
Tempranillo Blanco, which is a very special grape we'll be talking about in more detail. Uh, so there is still the dominance of Tempranillo and Vieira, Vieira, yet increasing diversity from these new varieties being planted. And as is always the case with emergent ideas, they're coming off of a small base. So with the exception of Tempranillo Blanco, which you can see is it's at over 12% of white plantings, um, there's, still, um, there's still a lot of room for growth in these areas with these new grapes. And then we're not going to be talking really about the more aged examples of Rioja today, but if you're any kind of wine student, I think you'll always appreciate having the opportunity to review Rioja aging requirements. I know that I do. Uh, so in the pyramid in the center, we have the requirements for red wines, and then to the right, uh, the white and Rosé Rosado requirements never hurts to see this written down again. Uh, and two things I want to draw your attention to are, first of all, that the uh, young wines for early drinking uh, have been called a hoven in the past. The Rioja is moving to the term generico. So you'll be seeing more of that in the future. And the second thing I want to point out is that the wines that we're going to present today are younger wines but you're not to think of them in terms of being lower on the quality pyramid. It is an aging pyramid. So yes, the top aged examples are at the top because there are fewer of them, but this expanding category of more youthful wines, wines that in some cases have great aging potential, but may also be released and enjoyed now. That's the category that we're going to focus on today. Now, diversification and style, that's what we're here to talk about. The first thing I want to mention is site selection. Like Champagne, Rioja has traditionally been thought of as a blended wine. What mattered was the final blend, and winemakers might take components from different areas to contribute to that blend. That's still in play, and it's still important. However, there is a lot more attention being given now to specific sites. That means interest in field blends, of course, that's that's the natural uh, origin of blended wines, field blends, where people either planted a number of varieties together or perhaps did not know what they had in their vineyard at all. So that's becoming more important and more sought out. Also, old vines, they're around the region. Some have been pulled out, of course, but there's a lot of attention now to preserving those vines that are there. And as I'm sure you know, old vines are often prized uh, for their higher concentration due to the lower yields. Um, they also have historical value. Uh, they, they take more tending and more attention because as the vines age, they get more brittle and more prone to breakage. So you have to handle them very carefully. Certainly all the work is done by hand. And then also in the case of head trained vines, it's a challenge to make sure everything ripens evenly all around the vine. So it takes more work to, uh, to cultivate and to, to train these old vines and to manage these sites. But there's a lot of effort being put into that now and with very positive results. And then a third area of interest in terms of site selection are the Veneto Singular wines, which are fairly new. Some of them are just coming onto the market now. And these are a class of wines with its own regulations the uh, permitted yields are 20% lower than for regular Rioja. 
the wines must be a minimum of 35 years old. And there are a number of other requirements that go into these Vineto Singular wines. Um, but the key thing I want to bring home on, on this uh, concept is that it's not just about the blend anymore, but about specific sites and really identifying, cultivating, and promoting what these special sites are with users a chance or to go out growers or find new spots or in some cases find spots that have been neglected, fallen out of cultivation, but can be revived. So that's a very exciting development. Uh, second development I want to mention is what we're going to focus on today, which are monovarietal bottlings, uh, bottles that are labeled with the name of the grape. And it's uh, just as a reminder, it's a little stricter in the EU, minimum 85% of the grape contained in the wine in order to have uh, the varietal name as the label. But we're going to be tasting wines today that are monovarietals. So this also is an opportunity to delve into the specifics of the land rather than blending across grapes and across regions. I also want to point out, uh, if you're in a position to uh, sell these wines, promote them to other people, or put them on a wine list, that it's a great opportunity to introduce Rioja either to younger drinkers who haven't yet learned about uh, a lot of classic regions, and also to people who are more new world drinkers and who are accustomed to varietal labeling. It can be very intimidating uh, to learn a lot of regional names and certainly the aging structures. Uh, many of us have, have been through the ringer before of, uh, of learning all this information and every consumer shouldn't have to learn it, right? So it's, again, it's a great opportunity and entry point for people who want to taste the wines of the region and learn about it, uh, diversify what they're drinking, and they can get a handle on it through the grape variety, whether it's you know, Tempranillo or Garnacha or something else. So that's a great development. A third development is the focus on the quality potential of Rioja Oriental. That goes along with site selection, but I want to pull it out particularly because uh, Oriental, aka Rioja Baja, is a hotter region uh, it's often been the site for, um, for blending wines like Garnacha and Graciano that need that heat for full maturation. And it has oftentimes in the past not been as celebrated as Alta and Oliveza, but now that's changing. It is a big part of the region in terms of area, uh, and there's a lot of interest in cultivating these vines or discovering what's already there. And that's great news because it really expands people's viewpoint of the quality potential of the region. Instead of simply saying, well, there might be a better site for Tempranillo, people are discovering that, A, there are great sites for Tempranillo within Oriental, and that there are these other grapes that do really well there. So there's a lot of excitement there, and we'll be tasting some wines from Oriental as well today. And then as a fourth point, I just want to mention um, that there has been some diversity of style in Rioja for some time. So a lot of these new developments are simply building or continuing on what's already there. The Clarité Rosés, the carbonic maceration practiced in Olivesa. These are little pockets of uh, stylistic diversity that in some ways may have been the exceptions that prove the role of Rioja as being 
uh, very special, uh, unique kind of blending and aging and having its own unique historical stamp. Um, these these other elements have always been in play, but now they're being joined by a lot of these new developments that really paint the whole picture of Rioja as being a very uh, exciting and diverse region. We are going to get into the wines. Uh, I want to point out again that these are not highly aged examples. These are all um, fairly youthful wines. Um, I think they are all Crianza wines, but that status is de-emphasized. In a lot of cases, these producers that are making these, uh, working with these new varieties or approaching these different stylistic directions where they focus on the variety or the site, they're de-emphasizing that aging pyramid because they want people to focus on something else. So that's something to think about as you taste these wines. The first wine we're going to taste is Tempranillo Blanco. And I'm, if I can show a bias, I would say this is the wine that I was most excited about tasting with you. Uh, it's a truly indigenous grape. Uh, it was discovered in the Leza Valley that's in Oriental in 1988. So it's a mutation of uh, red Tempranillo. And it has been uh, authorized for white blend since 2004. And if you recall from the earlier slide, it's now over 12% of white planting. So it grew off a base of nothing to 12%, which is certainly significant. So it can be used in a, a white Rioja blend, but it's also being bottled on its own. And since the 1990s, um, there has been uh, some, some government assistance in terms of funding that's assisted some of these new plantings. It is 98% genetically similar to red Tempranillo, uh, phenotypically a little bit different, smaller leaves and berries, generous in body, high alcohol potential, uh, but with also a high potential for overall balance profile. And uh, whereas Viura is more of a textural grape, it's more about the winemaking uh, in some ways similar to Chardonnay. Tempranillo Blanco is more aromatically generous. It has uh, more fruit on the palate and it's a very exciting wine. We're gonna taste a, a very fresh, youthful version today, uh, but I think you'll agree when you taste it, there's certainly potential there for for oak application, for aging, and for some other winemaking inputs for people who would like to do that. Um, I also want to mention, just as a point of interest, that um, there is a Tempranillo Royo, another mutation that was discovered in the Toro region. Uh, I have not tasted one of those. I have not seen one in the U.S., but it's so interesting to see these changes because um, they're, they're white grapes that are really from this region and they're adding depth uh, and interest to the region. And it gives expanded definition and significance to Rioja Oriental since the grape was discovered there. We're gonna show you the uh, shot of the bottle. Antonian is the producer. Uh, it's 15 hectares farmed in Rioja Oriental. It's 100% varietal. Uh, spends a few months on the lees, which I think you'll taste. Uh, and the uh, we're going to hear from the producer in just a moment. Christian, would you cue the video, please? Hello from Rioja. It's a pleasure to be sharing uh, this wine of Tempranillo Blanco with you. I'm trying to explain a bit about this variety and this Fontañón Tempranillo Blanco in particular. Tempranillo Blanco as a variety is something unique. Unique because it was discovered 
in uh, 1998. So it has like 23 years and no more. It's a mutation. It's a mutation in, in a plant of tempranillo tinto, red tempranillo, a branch appear with some clusters uh, with a white color. So those clusters were the ones that were used to uh, be re replanted in a natural way uh, to obtain new plants of tempranillo This has taken a long time because uh, this uh, multiplication of plants has taken a lot of time. Uh, how we do it? Okay, it's simple. Uh, the aromas of this wine are very fruity, quite aromatic. So what we want is to give a bit of body and roundiness in the mouth. How we do is we, we start doing it as a red wine with a mixture of the skins with the, with the juice. And uh, we let it for two or three days so we have a bit more of body. And after that, we let a fermentation. We take out the skins. We let fermentation continue in a cold temperature, but with the least that also gives us a bit more of rounderness. And uh, we make a very limited production of Tempranillo Blanco. Uh, it has a, the nose is super tropical. Color is uh, yellow, but with some um, green notes on the, on the borders. And uh, the mouth, the mouth is super fresh, but it's bold. And for the summer, it's wonderful. This one uh, has a contact with this, but has no barrel. You know, we are also making a case to have it with barrel and to see the next step, what they consider with Tempranillo Blanco would be its potential for the aging process. So this is what, in what we are studying now. And uh, I'm very happy to present this wine in the United States. United States is unique variety. There is a very limited production in the world because it's not a, it's, it's not being a, moved to other parts of, of the world apart from Rioja, only in Rioja. And uh, it's like a kind of treasure that we have and happy to share with you. Thank you, Christian. And thank you, Raquel Perez. Um, please, please enjoy tasting this wine if you have not tasted it yet. Um, this is my second time tasting it and I enjoy it just as much the second time. I noticed that she talked about the tropicality of the wine, really tropical ripe fruit. And I completely agree. Um, I get a very strong uh, aroma of pineapple and even roasted pineapple, just that much more intense. It's so pleasurable. And yet there is a minerality to the wine on the nose and in the palate, a little bit of a whetstone note that I don't often get accompanying tropical fruit. Usually that high level of ripeness obscures um, a lot of minerality, but in here they seem to go hand in hand, which makes the wine very intriguing. Um, along with, uh, with pineapple, I get other tropical fruits, mango, also the riper side of citrus, uh, Meyer lemon, lemon curd, very appealing wine. And I think you'll notice when you taste the wine, that the texture is very appealing because there is a, a fresh linear acidity, a brightness to the acidity. You can see it'd be very, um, very appealing in a, in a warm summer, a warm ripening climate to be able to maintain that acidity. And yet 
there are no hard edges at all. It's very rounded at the edge. There is that textural quality that's enhanced by having a little bit of time on leaves. And you get a, just a, a little bit of a, a cushioned feeling or a, a viscosity in the wine. And it elevates the finish as well. I get a long finish that really expands that, uh, that tropical and that ripe citrus note and is underpinned by that, that really bright acidity. And I don't know how many of you have tasted Tempranillo Blanco before. Uh, this wine was my, my first time. Um, so I think the, the opportunity for it is very exciting. Um, it's something that can really straddle the old world and the new world if you're thinking in terms of that dichotomy because of the freshness and minerality and yet also the ripe forward fruit. Um, and again, as, as uh, the winemaker mentioned, um, there is wonderful potential for barrel for aging, although this one is made in a very pure style. So let's move on to the next wine. Um, we are going to talk about Tempranillo, of course, this is the first of our reds, and we would certainly be remiss if we didn't include Tempranillo in any discussion of Rioja reds. It is the queen of all grapes, uh, highest number of plantings, highest number of red plantings, um, very important over 75% of the region, yet with a lot of different expressions possible, depending on the region, the site, the winemaking, the aging. Uh, Tempranillo has, of course, long been associated with Rioja. It's an early ripening grape, uh, hence the name, uh, and fertile, but does tend to be disease prone, so it needs some care in the vineyard. Uh, it's very versatile, as you know, very age-worthy. And the, the wine that we're going to taste today is a really wonderful example where you can really get the full expression of the grape. This is Bodega Lanzaga. And uh, Telmo Rodriguez, the winemaker, is really a, a champion of old vines and field blends. He spent a lot of time uh, seeking out sites and trying to bring out the best in sites that would really uh, showcase the quality of the grapes. In 2015, he was instrumental in drafting the Terroir Manifesto. This was a document he prepared in collaboration with I believe 150 others, calling on Spain's regulatory bodies to classify land in terms of quality. He is very focused on bringing out and, and promoting the quality of specific sites and broadcasting that to, the, to consumers and to gatekeepers so that people understand where the wine is coming from rather than just giving it a regional approach. Of course, any such approach, if you are elevating your site, it goes hand in hand with the region because first you go to the region and then to the site. But it's an exciting development for Rioja because it allows people to delve further into what's there. So that's his focus. And this wine is an example of that. Uh, it's from the Lanciego Vineyards in Rioja Alaveza. This is a site that he's been cultivating they're certified organic grapes, uh, primarily Tempranillo with a small amount of Graciano and Garnacha. All concrete tank aging, six to seven months, uh, native yeast ferment, so no oak on this wine. He's really asking you to engage with the grape itself rather than a lot of additional inputs. And what I really enjoy about this wine is the explosion of red and blue fruits. Uh, it's 
to me, very, very ripe and very dark fruits, very exciting. And yet uh, that tobacco note that's so often found in Tempranillo is definitely there. And to me, it's the fresh uh, herbal tinge tobacco leaf, not so much the dried or the smoky tobacco, but very fresh. Tannins are very youthful. Um, they're not hard. They're still uh, wound pretty tightly. So the fruit gives you pleasure immediately, but the tannins suggest that the wine is something that you hold on to, uh, which is something I think we all get excited about when we taste a new wine. So it's very firm. It's a, it's, um, I feel it's structured in such a way that you can really feel the contours of, of the concrete tank aging. Um, you get that, that firmness and a sort of a chewiness to the tannin that suggests that it's going to open up over time. It hasn't yet had that oxygen impact that a wine aged in oak would have. So you're really uh, similar to the previous one. You're getting purity of fruit and purity of the site. And now a word from our sponsor. Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracina Wines. Dracina Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in wine enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. Moving on, uh, the next natural grape to talk about is Garnacha Tinta. This is the second most planted red grape in Rioja and probably uh, the blending partner for Rioja with which we're the most familiar after Tempranillo. It's traditionally planted in Rioja Oriental where the warmth is sufficient to ripen it. Um, as you know from all the, the many wonderful international exa uh, examples of this grape, it has a uh, high body, high alcohol potential, perfume, fruit, uh, wonderful spice, beautiful aging capacity. Uh, at some point, vines were being pulled out in Oriental to be replaced with Tempranillo, which was considered a higher value grape. Uh, fortunately, a lot of people are now replanting with Garnacha. Uh, and there are pockets of old vine Garnacha and Rioja Alta that are also being preserved. So many uh, site expressions possible for this grape and again, it's adding a, a perfume lift and a richness to Rioja blends, as well as you know, wonderful examples on its own. Mono varietal bottlings are on the rise. We're about to taste one. And uh, it's if you are a lover of Garnacha or Grenache, it's a great chance for us to enjoy yet one more regional expression of this grape by seeing it on the rise in Rioja. Um, and then if, if you love it in a blend, you know, the, the increased plantings are going to be uh, showing up more in blends as well. So good news all around for lovers of this grape. Uh, this is the La Montessa Garnacha, our third wine. Um, and the man who made it, Alvaro Palacios, is someone who really needs no introduction. Uh, he's legendary. 
He's from a, a Rioja family, uh, studied in Bordeaux, and has had great successes um, all over in, in Priorat as well as Rioja, and uh, is really uh, very well known for, for elevating and broadcasting the high quality of his wine and his region uh, to the world. This wine is, uh, is coming from the Yerga Mountains. It is a 95% Garnacha. So it's a, it's a clever wine in a way, conceptually, because it flips that concept of a Tempranillo-dominated wine with a touch of Garnacha. This is a Garnacha-dominated wine with just a little bit of Tempranillo. These grapes are grown at 550 meters altitude in a windy and dry site. Uh, that means that there's a little bit, that, that windiness and the dryness gives a little bit of desiccation to the grapes as they ripen. That means it concentrates the flavors a little bit by, by removing some of the water in the grape. And that gives us the beautiful concentration that's here in this wine. It was an oak, 12 months, French and American a, um, a diversity of, of uh, oak age, I believe it's first, second, and third fill barrels. And I invite you to taste the wine. And uh, Christian, if you would give us the video, please. Well, so here we are in the, in the bueno, La Montesa, in the, in the Mount of Yerga, in Alfaro village, which is the last village in the eastern side of Rioja. So we are in Rioja Oriental. In this eastern, southeastern side of Rioja, we have a different climate than Rioja Alta. Rioja is so large, so it spans through more than 140 kilometers of land. And uh, here at the eastern side, which is the most luminous, most, uh, what would I say, the closest to the Mediterranean coast. Here we have a much less rain average, more luminosity, and uh, a more high, uh, high uh, atmosphere, I mean, drier and warmer. So we have also a special soil, which is this conglomerate of, um, of uh, big stones from different origins. So a conglomerate of pebbles, round stones from uh, uh, sand, from limestone origin, even quartz, also some volcanic offits, like those ones here. A, a, a big complexity, but uh, all is uh, blended with a clay, sand, and silt. <clears throat> all these conglomerates in the surface is very rich in iron. You can see the red color of the soil. That means that it's very warm in the surface. But immediately underneath, we find horizons of one meter of depth, or even five meters of depth, of uh, calcium carbonate, which is a very, very chalky uh, matter a very chalky material. No? So this is very cold and very poor and very flavorful. So this brings a lot of flavor of chalk to the grape. The grape, which is Garnacha. Garnacha has been in Rioja Oriental from centuries and centuries as the queen grape, as the, as the local grape that makes, makes all the sense because we have, we have all, I mean, Garnacha, it has this uh, long uh, vegetal cycle that adapts perfectly with this high isolation, higher temperature, and drier conditions. Thank you. Um, it's pretty exciting uh, to hear from him. He is a legend, and he's very, very focused on uh, the vineyard, vineyard quality, 
And all of those impacts, the site, the weather, the soil can be seen in this wine. Uh, to me, this wine has what I love about top quality Garnacha is that it's fleshy, but not flabby. It has wonderful cushiony tannins. The perfume is absolutely beautiful. And as a 2017 wine, it's beginning to get just a little bit of complexity from maturity. There's some of those characters that I associate with maturing Garnacha, orange spice, uh, dry leaves, autumn leaves, and those really add some interest and depth to the fruit. Lovely perfume, spice, nutmeg, uh, raspberry, uh, very intense fruit and perfume, but again, with some of those more savory aging characters. Um, this is a wine that has what I think of as being a sort of a signature of a lot of Palacios wines is a mineral finish. And uh, that's in spite of, of ripeness and warmth and generosity in the palate. There's just a little bit of a touch of the earth there in the finish, which again adds complexity and speaks to the region and also the, um, the really fine touch on the winemaking to draw that out alongside the generous fruit. A lot of us use candied fruit as an indicator for garnacha. Um, it's certainly here, but again, it's moderated by some savory complexity and by some tertiary notes. Uh, so overall, very pleasing wine, soft acidity, a very gentle, soft acidity, but not a flat wine at all. It's still very lively in the mouth. So really a beautiful wine. I'm very happy to taste this today with you. We're going to move on uh, to something that is more scarce and um, in a way more interesting. Um, I think all these wines are extremely interesting, but when I was a student for many years, uh, taste a bottle of uh, monovarietal Graciano was always on my to-do list because they're not that easy to find. So it's great to be able to talk about and taste this variety today. Um, if you study Rioja, then you know that Graciano is a traditional blending partner, um, but it was on decline for a long time. It was nearly extinct by the end of the last century. And now that's reversing. People are starting to plant it again. Most of it is grown in Oriental. Um, it needs that warmth for consistent ripening. It needs heat. Um, it needs uh, clay soils, which hold that heat in. Uh, so that's the spot for it. But people are starting to come back to it. Um, it's, it's always been known for being impactful in small amounts. It adds perfume, acid, tannin, color, all those things that, um, that we look for in, in a, a big red wine or to add complexity or interest as a wine age. Those are to be found in Graciano. Um, but Graciano on its own has really not been that common. So it's a pleasure to taste this today. Um, please, if you haven't, give it a taste now. And I really recommend coming back to it more than once because it changes quite a bit in the glass. Uh, this label is Rio Madre. It's a partnership between the Escudero family and Jorge Ordonez, who is a, a very prominent uh, wine importer, fine estates from Spain is his group. Um, so this is a this is a partnership, and the um, the greater label Ilerche was started for younger red and rosé wines to showcase them not as a um, not as an entry point or uh, a stepping stone to aged Rioja uh, blends, but again as as their own thing, as their own special and unique offering. 
Um, like the previous one we tasted, uh, this comes from the Yerga Mountains in Rioja Oriental. So high altitude uh, that moderates the warm climate, um, extra wind um, that, that concentrates the sugar and the, uh, the fruit flavors in the grape. This does have a little bit of time on oak, four months. Um, you can tell that it gives a little structural impact, um, but without overwhelming the fruit. It's a really beautiful color, uh, just as you would expect. And in the nose and the palate, I get some very interesting notes. Um, the fruit that comes to mind for me is bilberry, um, which uh, which is not the not the easiest fruit to find. I've had it in Scandinavia and I've had it in Persian grocery stores. Um, but if you haven't had bilberry, I recommend uh, seeking some out because it really is a very interesting and piquant fruit character. Um, also very savory notes here. I get a little bit of black olive. I get smoked paprika. Uh, very interesting. Uh, all on the perfume side or the, uh, the intense side of savory. And then in the mouth, the tannins are, they're sinewy, they're chewy. Um, they're very muscular tannins and yet they're not, they're not hard. And you can imagine, I think when you taste this wine, the very careful ripening and the long ripening season that would be required uh, in order to get this wine to be physiologically ripe so that those tannins are not too hard, but that they're just mature enough to preserve the fruit and the acid that's there and also promise some long aging. And I, I, really would, um, I can tell you that this week after we, we break from the seminar, I'm going to be seeing if I can find this wine for myself because I'd love to get a few bottles of it to age. But a really special wine, a treat if you haven't tasted Graciano on its own before. Um, and again, you can certainly see the magic it could form in a, in a blend as well as on its own. The next grape we're going to talk about is Macharana Tinta. Um, this is another grape that was nearly extinct um, that is now recognized as a legal blending partner uh, for, for Rioja blends, but again, also being made on its own. Um, it's, a, it's unique to Rioja. Um, it's a tricky grape to grow because it's sensitive to rot. And if you look closely at the photograph, you can see that it's a pretty compact, tight cluster. So you can see how it might be prone to rot, how um, you would have to be careful about opening the canopy uh, and really, uh, really taking good care with those clusters. Uh, it, it buds late and ripens early, uh, which I think offers some interesting uh, possibilities for other regions where that would be an asset. And similarly to Graciano, it, it's a wonderful spice note to add to a blend. Uh, deep color, spicy and savory aromatics. Uh, it has some good tannic structure, but not overwhelming. And the wine that we are tasting today is from Vivanco, Rafael Vivanco. Uh, he's a very influential grower uh, and producer in Rioja. He's very passionate about indigenous grapes. Um, and he's, uh, I think he's an exciting figure because he really does straddle the history and the future of Rioja. You'll notice um, that uh, this bottle is an unusual shape. It's copied from original Bordeaux bottles that were used in Rioja. So he's really combining the old, the traditional, and the new by going out in a different direction and bottling this grape on its own. 
he uh, vinifies all those parcels individually. So he keeps the sites separate so he can really watch their development. He uses native yeasts, again, uh, elevating the uniqueness of each vineyard site by letting them do their thing. Um, the wine undergoes malolactic and second fill barrels, he uses batonnage. So of course that, that um, both of those things impact the texture of the wine. Um, Please give it a taste, and then Christian uh, is going to share with us a video from Signor Vivanco. So this is Colección Vivanco Maturana Tinta. It's a special monovarietal of this uh, grape, which was saved from extinction uh, very recently. And so it's a very, very uh, interesting grape for Rioja in, in reds not only as for monovarietals, as I said, but also for blends. Because the grape variety, which is connected also to France, because over there, this, this, this grape is known in Bordeaux as castets, but uh, again, almost disappeared because of many problems growing it in, in the vineyard. But uh, for us, this wine will will bring freshness to Rioja. Freshness to Rioja means a very balsamic uh, character. Uh, the pure essence of this wine, uh, when get maturation, when you get maturation, it change, change into balsamic, into fresh fruit, into maturity, but fresh at the same time, which is a big challenge nowadays with uh, climate change. Uh, it, it offers, uh, again, high acidity, uh, blue violets, uh, blue flowers character, blue fruit as well, uh, pepper as well, uh, spiciness, and not too high alcohol and not too big a structure. So it can be pleasant immediately, which is great as well. So it's a very unique character. And I adore it. It's really special for me. And I think we are a pioneer in Rioja making this and also a reference. Let's try it. This wine, being Colección Vivanco, uh, we practice minimal intervention. So uh, minimal, no racking, no filtration, no, clari no, no fining. Uh, using gravity in most uh, processes. So you can see it immediately. It's really dense, uh, high color uh, intensity, remains young for many, many years, very seductive aromas, transporting you more to Bordeaux, but very fleshy, nice uh, acidity, long as well. The freshness I mentioned before may make them very, very appealing. And this wine needs a, even more a nice meat, a piece of meat or a piece of food with protein and with a bit of fat to really enjoy it at its, at its maximum. Sorry. Enjoy it and thank you. I love that video because I love the obvious pleasure he takes in this wine. And... I hope you take pleasure in it too. Uh, notice the tension that he talks about in terms of 
freshness and maturity at the same time. And I think there is a tension in this wine, um, dis despite how, how big it is and how extracted. There's some exciting um, dichotomies there. It's very opaque. The, the nose is heady. You can smell the extraction in it um, and, and very savory. I thought of cassoulet when I first smelled this wine. And yet there's also a high toned herbal note. Um, spearmint is what came to mind for me. So there's a, there's a, a roasted savory character. And yet um, Rafael Vivalco mentioned pyrazines. Again, I'm getting this as a sort of minty or bright green character. And you can certainly see how that would play with other elements in the wine uh, to add interest to it. Um, certainly a lot of dark fruit, thick tannins in the mouth. Um, and yet it isn't heavy. Um, the, the tannins are sandy. They feel very active. Um, they're, they're not heavy on the palate. And um, I, I, can, I can see the beginnings of what he talks about um, when he mentions balsamic, which is a a piquant flavor. Um, it suggests age, but there's also a brightness to it too. Um, warming alcohol, but not overbearing, really in character uh, with the weight and intensity of the wine. And then another example that would absolutely be exciting uh, to watch develop over the years. Um, it, and again, this is an, a wine where you can see how the grape would be very valuable in a blend, even in small amounts, to really lift up, uh, lift up the nose and the palate, add complexity, add color, uh, firm up the tannins while still keeping them, you know, sophisticated uh, and, and not too hard or edgy in the mouth. Uh, really, a, a wine with a lot of interest and a lot of aging. I want to mention again that these are wines that are in the Crianza style. They're not long aged wines. They're presented as fairly youthful drink now wines. And yet you can see in so many of them, the potential for positive development. It's a great thing to see in a wine and in a region. The last grape we're gonna talk about today is Mazuelo, otherwise known as Carignan elsewhere. Uh, unfortunately, we do not have an example to taste today. It is uh, not that easy. Uh, to find a monovarietal bottling of Mezuelo from Rioja, even for the crack team at the Napa Valley Wine Academy. If you have the opportunity to buy it or taste it, I highly recommend that you do. Um, it's another exciting blender that's finding new life in monovarietal bottlings, um, though not widely available outside of the region just yet. Uh, traditionally blended into Tempranillo in small quantities. Uh, in the past, it was a more common blending partner than it is now. Uh, and you can see some of the other grapes that are becoming a little more popular, but definitely a traditional historic grape of Rioja. Adds color, adds acid, adds tannin. Um, you've probably all tasted examples of Mazuelo or Carignan in the past, and you know how it can have this marvelous uh, intensity and rich dark fruit and a leafy freshness all at the same time. Uh, there are some old fine examples that have very intense fruit, uh, very rich. Those are being preserved, thank goodness. Uh, it's a low-yielding grape, uh, susceptible to mildew. So um, you can see why people might have pulled it out in favor of things that are easier to cultivate. Um, but but now that it's attracting interest as a monovarietal possibility, uh, I think you're going to see more plantings of it in the future.
still very rare to see uh, standalone bottlings of this grape, uh, but, but be on the lookout for it. And I would say uh, with all these wines, um, they're, they're not the easiest things to find. Um, you need to be on the lookout for them, but they're well worth looking out for because they are offering something very new and very different. And um, I think in another five years, a lot of these wines are going to be easier to find. And yet you will uh, have the advanced knowledge of them and be able to uh, explain and, and promote and engage uh, the people in your life with these wines before they become uh, even more, more available. I always like to think about what they have in common. I like to synthesize what I'm tasting. Uh, so to recap what we've had here um, with the five wines you have tasted, these are monovarietal bottlings. They're made in youthful styles where the, the age designation has been de-emphasized. The focus is on the grape, and in many cases, the focus is on the specific site. And the producer is, is cultivating specific sites and asking you to recognize the value in these sites and these grapes. Um, all of these wines, um, even those that are not high in acidity, have acidity that, that fits with the grape. The Garnacha would have been the lowest in acid, I would say, and yet it's, it's soft and it works with the body of the wine. And then you have the, the Graciano, for example, which is quite fresh and bright in acidity. And that really lifts up the, the, um, the imposing uh, textural elements of the wine. So these wines are fresh, they're young, they all have a lot of fruit. Um, all of them have a savory element to them. Um, even the, the Tempranillo Blanco has a little bit of a, a mineral undertow. Uh, so those are all the things I'm seeing in common with these wines. Uh, there is one question that um, would like to highlight, and maybe you know this as um, a winemaker with experience all across the world. Uh, is anyone using Tempranillo um, uh, Blanca uh, in co-fermenting with, with red wines? They're thinking here, I guess, um, a reference to Syrah and Viognier kind of marriage. Any, any idea on that, uh, Chris? That's a great question. And I was, I no, I don't have any idea, but I will say that the question occurred to me also when I was preparing for this, because since it started as a vineyard mutation, it was obviously in there with the reds. And oftentimes, um, if you work on the production side, you know that uh, if you're experimenting with a new grape, you're rarely going to plant a whole parcel to it. You're going to plant a few vines and then those vines, when they're harvested, have to go somewhere. So I would be really surprised if there had not been co-fermentation, though I don't know what the relative harvest dates of the two varieties are, where Tempranillo Blanco is planted, particularly in Oriental. Um, is it ripening at the same time as red Tempranillo? That would be the number one question. Or is there another red grape um, that ripens at a similar time that would be more of a natural co-fermentation partner? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer, but I think that's it's well worth us discussing after the webinar and uh, and bringing back an answer to the group if we can find one. So we we are running out of time. So I know we do want to put up the slide about the Rioja Wine Academy um, uh, as well, because that is a phenomenal resource for um, anyone wanting to learn more about uh, the wines of uh, wines of Rioja. Um, phenomenal resource. Again, uh, I want to thank everyone today. Most of all, I want to thank you, Chris, for 
your uh, amazing insights into these uh, into these wines uh, and putting together this uh, well thought out presentation. And everyone who was able to join us uh, today for this live uh, webinar, as a reminder, we will be sending out the link here in the next couple of uh, days. And I also want to remind you that all the wines that were covered today in the webinar are available in the U.S. Now, that doesn't mean they might be really easy to find, but uh, if you like uh, a little bit of a hunt, you will find them. They are imported uh, in uh, into the U.S. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Hopefully we can have you uh, back again to present uh, on either the wines of Rioja or other wines. Uh, really enjoyed your presentation. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe, drink well, and we'll see you on the next Rioja webinar coming your way soon. In the meantime, take care. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. You are so special, even in the Bible. Water, go turn right into wine. So you and I can fill